So, if you have your Bible, please turn to Job chapter 23. So, the announced text, again, is Job 4 to 37. And you go, that's a lot. How are we going to cover it all in one week? That's a great question. So, we we got our start on that, actually, last week, um, as we looked at it through the lens of the friends and what they had to say And so we were thinking together about how do we talk about God to people who are suffering. And this week, we're considering kind of the same block of text, but through Job's speeches. How do we talk, mainly, how do we talk to God when we are suffering? How do we talk to God when God doesn't make sense? When our experience of God doesn't line up with what we have come to expect from God. And so that's what we're doing today. Um, so let me pray. We'll actually read Job 23 as we get into the, the sermon. Um, so kind of keep your spot there. But I'm going to pray and then we'll uh, get going today. Oh God, we need you. And we thank you that you have spoken to us and that you speak to us even now through your word. And so, Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you help us to see what you want us to see from Job and his speeches, his lament? And would you help us to to feel uh, what we should feel? If we're feeling like you're far off but don't know how to talk to you about it, would you use these moments to help? If we're still struggling with how do we help someone else who's struggling, would you use these moments to help? If we're tempted to run away from you in our pain, would you use these moments to help? And so Holy Spirit, would you be the the helper that Jesus promised you would be? Would you lead us? Would you guide us today? And ultimately, would you guide us back toward you, Father, Son, and Spirit, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Most of you know that I like Disney uh, movies, and this one's kind of a deep cut. So the Apple Dumpling Gang, anybody? Okay, good, I see those hands. Uh, it came out in 1975, so I know that I'm not going for recent uh, canon there. But, uh, wow, basically, there's this guy, Mr. Donovan, right? Russell Donovan, and he thinks that he's going to make it in the Gold Rush days, and he's mainly going to make it by gambling, and so don't get your theology from the Apple Dumpling Gang or your practice. Uh, But he thinks he's going to make it, and everything's going his way, and then all of a sudden, nothing is going his way. He takes $5 as a deposit for just picking up some valuables, and those of you who know the story know that those valuables are three children, and his friend who um, gave him the five bucks, you know, ran, and so now all of a sudden, he's supposed to take care of these three kids. He's not a family man. He complains about that quite a bit. I have no idea what to do. But they remind him that he'll be hung if he doesn't keep his word and fulfill his responsibility. And he reaches a point where everything is going wrong. The kids don't really 
like him. They kind, of, they kind of do. One of them has a tendency to kick anyone who touches him. Uh, for those who've seen it, you know that Clovis uh, don't like to be touched. And so he's in this moment. They're in a shack on the edge of town. It's raining. The kids are complaining and hungry. And it's raining now into the shack because it's a shack. And so there's water coming in everywhere. And they're like, there's one more spot over here. And he's trying to take care of it. And then dinner is like literally on fire. It's not just burned. It's like, it's done. And there's a moment where he kind of looks up and says, what have I done to deserve this? And Clovis says, who are you talking to? It doesn't matter. I don't think he's listening to me anyway. And there are moments, whether you've seen that movie or not, where you can feel just that way. Where you've prayed. He wasn't really praying. But where you've prayed and you've tried and you're doing your best and everything's going wrong. Everything's going exactly the opposite of the way that you thought that it would go. And at that low moment, you're going, what have I done to deserve this? Because that's how we tend to think about how God works. Job is pretty sure he hasn't done anything to deserve what's happening. The friends are definitely asking, what have you done to deserve this? But that thinking can still be in our minds too. Now in that moment, right after he said, it doesn't matter, I don't think he's listening to me anyway, someone walks in the door, Dusty, who in many ways, through a roundabout way, kind of becomes his savior. And that is the answer to all his problems. Immediately, she brings in a meal, the rain stops, she tucks the kids in bed, and he can sit and relax, and everything is better for a moment. Right at his lowest point, salvation was about to walk through the door. And we want to rush through those moments because I'm just ready for salvation to walk through the door. I don't know if you've ever felt that either, right? It's like, whatever trial it is, whatever, uh, uh, it just needs to be over, right? I just need to feel better. Things need to get better. But then there's certain situations where you know, like, they're not getting better. So now what? What do we do then? The big idea this morning is this. When what we expect from God doesn't line up with our experience of God, we should talk with him about it. When what we expect from God doesn't line up with our experience of God, we should talk with him about it about it. Job feared God. He was blameless, right? We saw that multiple times in chapters one and two. Look at him. He holds on to his integrity. He didn't curse God, even with all that he lost. And he's saying, why is it this way? And so as we look at Job's speeches today, uh, I think we'll pick up some themes. He's very convinced the friends are wrong and not helpful. Job is innocent and doesn't know why God is attacking him, and that's how he feels. That's what we'll hear him say. 
He asserts that God is attacking him for no reason. The money quote there is, without cause. He has attacked me without cause. And so Job wants an audience with God to defend himself and to ask God about his justice. We sang moments ago that the Lord is the only righteous judge. But there are moments where it feels like justice is denied. Or at the very least, delayed a lot longer than it should be. At the same time, Job knows that God is in control. Job knows that God is far above him. And he believes that God will vindicate him in the end. Job will keep hoping in God. And we hear all those things and go like, how can all those things be happening in one person? Right? We're like, I'm questioning God's justice. Saying, what, what good is it to fear the Lord and live in obedience to him because I die just like everyone else? In fact, the wicked seem to have it pretty good, which is something we see in Psalm 73 and other psalms as well. Why do they get to live in comfort? Why is it going so well for them when it's going this way for me? And at the same time, God's in control. God is bigger than I am. And I think that God will vindicate me. I will keep hoping in him. We need a Christianity that can hold those things together on the difficult days. On the days when God doesn't make sense to us. We might describe what Job does here as faithful wrestling. Faithful wrestling. And Job says some very difficult things about God in his complaint. He did already in his complaint in chapter 3 that we looked at a couple weeks ago. That's why his friends are like, whoa, 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 you can't do that. You can't talk about God like that. But at the end, what's God's appraisal? The friends didn't speak right about him, like my servant Job has. Now, it doesn't mean that every word that Job says is exactly right, but it is approval overall of what Job is doing, that he is wrestling in faith. He's wrestling as one who believes. He cares so much because he believes. And we might still think, well, this isn't really faithful wrestling, right? He does say some scary things. And that tends to happen when people are in extremely difficult circumstances. And so what I mean by faithful wrestling as we're thinking about that today is that even though he has questions, and at times seems, not seems, he does demand answers from God, he knows that he can't go anywhere else. There's nowhere else to go. He knows that what is happening to him is ultimately from God. And that God is in control. A key verse in all, in all of these chapters, we'll, we'll see quite a few. But the key verse that I want us to remember, if you remember one, is Job thirteen 15. It'll be up on the screen. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Multiple songs have been written about this verse. Right? Even if he kills me, I'm going to keep trusting in him. 
And we go, yes, that's what I want, right? This almost sounds like the Job of chapters 1 and 2, right? The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job didn't sin with his lips, right? Or in Job 2, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks when his wife tells him to curse God and die. He says, shall we receive good from the hand of the Lord and not evil? And the narrator says, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And we go, yeah, that's great. This kind of just lines up with the general theology of Job anyway. Um, but this isn't the whole verse. So let's see the whole verse. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. It's like, yeah. Yet, I will argue my ways to his face. Job missed it, didn't he? Or perhaps we've missed something. This encapsulates faithful wrestling. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. And that's for real. There's nothing about the second part that takes away the first part. But I'm going to argue my ways to his face. I'm going to tell him that I've done what is right. I want my day in court with God. It's an expression of trust along with longing for an audience with God. And so let's hear some of what Job says. We'll read chapter 23 in a couple minutes. But I want to pick up a few things along the way. Job begins in chapter 6 in his reply. So last week we saw chapters 4 and 5, Eliphaz with his opening speech. Remember, there's rounds of speeches. Um, Eliphaz and then Bildad, Bildad, excuse me, and then Zophar take their turns And in between, Job gives responses that to them sound worse and worse. So they get stronger and stronger. Then finally, Elihu pops in and is mad at everybody. My anger burns. I'm right. You guys are all wrong. He's mad at Job for what he said about God. He's mad at the friends because they haven't really gotten to it with Job and gotten him to figure things out. And there's a lot of talk by Elihu and by the friends about God's justice, about God's majesty, about how God always does what is right, and how Job needs to repent. And Job keeps on saying, but I'm doing what's right. I want to talk with God. Like, he's not moving away from God. He's moving toward God. He's going to be saying that God feels far away from me, and I don't know why, and I don't know where he is. And so after Eliphaz's speech in chapter 4 and 5, Job responds. He's saying, no, my complaint is just. It is right. Beginning of Job 6, Oh, that my vexation were weighed, and all my calamity laid in the balances, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words have been rash. They're saying, Job, you're saying all these words about God, and they're not right. He says, it's because my calamity is so heavy. For the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. This is a picture from nature. Does the wild donkey bray when he has grass or the ox low over his fodder? He's saying, do animals complain when food is right there? It's like, but it's not for me. Animals don't complain when they're provided for. Then later on in chapter 6, to the friends as they're, they've been telling him already, you know, you need to repent, you're, you're wrong. 
says, teach me and I'll be silent. Make me understand how I have gone astray. How forceful are upright words, but what does reproof from you reprove? Do you think you can reprove words? Is that really what this is about? When the speech of, dis- of a despairing man, man is wind. He said, I know that my words are just kind of like going out there. Now you're going to come at me for those, but I'm in despair. I am in bitterness of soul. And then at the end of chapter 6, but now be pleased to look at me, for I will not lie to your face. Please turn. Let no injustice be done. Turn now. My vindication is at stake. Is there any injustice on my tongue? So Job's telling them, look at me face to face. I'm telling you the truth. I've done nothing wrong. I want justice and vindication. I'm speaking what is right. I know my calamity is not due to injustice on my part. And he's convinced that there is no future for him, that there is no hope. Job 7, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no more. While your eyes are on me, I shall be gone. Like a cloud fades and vanishes. It says, I'm not coming back up. And then verse 11, therefore I will not restrain my mouth. I shall speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. As they're going for the quick fixes, you're saying bad things about God. He's like, this is bad. (laughs) And so I'm going to say what is really going on. To God in chapter 7, he says, I loathe my life. I don't even want to live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are a breath. What is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him to visit him every morning and test him every moment? It sounds a little bit like Psalm 8, where in that one it's wonder, right? What is man that you're mindful of him? This is incredible that you would care about us. And Job is going, yeah, but now you're giving me really hard things. Why do you care so much? I'm just a guy. Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. So Job is also holding a couple things in tension here, right? You hear him over and over again say, I didn't do anything. I'm innocent. I'm being attacked for no reason. And then he asks God, why don't you pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? Right, so which one is it? Well, Job is not saying he's never sinned in any way. Job never claims sinless perfection. It's not that Job has always done what is right in every situation, but he knows as much as he can trust his own conscience that he is living in the fear of the Lord. And of course, we know that the testimony is not just from his conscience. It's from the narrator and ultimately from Yahweh, from God himself saying, Job is blameless and upright who fears God and turns away from evil. But even in that, Job is not saying, I'm perfect. He's just saying, I definitely haven't done anything that would lead to me having this experience, this calamity in my life. Because we could be tempted to think like, well, I mean, Job keeps saying he's perfect, and I, we know, you know that no one's perfect, and so that was his wrong. That, that was not his wrong. He will tell them over and over again, I deserve to be vindicated, but it's not because he's sinlessly 
perfect. In chapter 9, he complains that there's no one. It feels like there's no one. He says, if only there were an arbiter, there were someone who could come between God and me and lay his hand on us both to bring us together. He continues in his plea to God, asserting his innocence in chapter 10 and chapter 13 and asking God, why are you coming after me this way? But he acknowledges in chapter 12 that the Lord has done this. This is the Lord's doing. But then Job 13 has the incredible verse that we looked at a couple minutes ago. Still, I will hope in him. Even if he kills me, I will hope in him. And part of what that hope looks like, believing that God really is who he says he is, who always does what is right, is wanting to ask questions when you're sure that things are wrong. Chapter 21 has some of the really hard things that Job says. There are a couple other things in there uh, in the other chapters, and we'll look at one of them next week in Job chapter 19. But in Job 21, this is where he's really questioning the justice of God, kind of like the psalmist, saying the, the wicked do prosper, though, right? All his friends are saying, God blesses the righteous and punishes the wicked, so you must be wicked. And he's going, that's not how this works. There are wicked people who prosper. But chapter 23, in some ways, is the heart of Job's complaint. And so that's what we want to read today as our text officially. Job chapter 23, just 17 verses. Again, he's being told, repent, pray to God. He'll hear you. Pay your vows. It's going to be established. Light's going to shine on your ways. Everything's going to go great for you. So now look at his answer in Job 23. Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. He's talking about God. That I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know that he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. There, an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Now, just a note on those verses. Earlier, he's talked about the greatness of God's power and how no one can stand against him. He says that even if I'm right, technically, I can't really be in the right before God because he is so great. So if he only answered me according to the greatness of his power, I would have no chance because no one can stand before him. I'm man and he's God. But he's saying like, I don't think he's going to treat me that way, right? He's going to listen. He's going to pay attention to me. In that court, I could argue with him and be acquitted. So then verse eight, behold, I go forward but he's not there. And backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. But he is unchangeable 
And who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me. And many such things are in his mind. Therefore, I am terrified at his presence. When I consider, I am in dread of him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I am not silenced because of the darkness, nor because thick darkness covers my face. And then he goes on to ask for God to come and judge. It's like, why aren't there times of judgment? And so you hear kind of all of what's been going on, and you read right in this one chapter. Right? I've got my case. I know that I'm innocent, but I can't find God anywhere. And sometimes we feel that way, right? It's like, I'm, I'm doing what I know how to do. But if I go forward, he's not there. If I go backward, he's not there. If I, he's doing something on my left hand, I can feel it. And when I turn, he's not there. He turns to the right hand and I still can't find him. But then faith comes again. He knows the way that I take. Right? Even if I can't find him anywhere. And this is incredible in the midst of all his suffering. So like, I can't find him anywhere, but this is what I know. I know he knows where I am. I know he knows all my ways. And then in verse 14, he will complete what he appoints for me. That's something we need to know. Whatever God desires to do, that's what he does, he says in verse 13. And he's acknowledging here, I don't know what's going on, and it's actually really scary for me. I don't like what he has appointed for me. But he will complete what he appoints for me. He's acknowledging that God is in control, and God has a purpose, even if there's still no comfort for him yet in those words and in that experience. He's like, therefore, I'm terrified at his presence because of how he is treating him. but I'm still not silenced. I'm still going to talk to him. Do you hear the determination in there? I'm going to talk to God. I have to talk to God. And then chapter 26, as he's acknowledging, along with the friends, that God's majesty is unsearchable. Kind of what he's saying there in verse 13, that God does whatever he wants Job 26, 14, he says, Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? So all this stuff we're talking about and all these words that we're all spending here. This experience of calamity at his hand, where I feel like I'm never getting out of this. Says, these are but the outskirts of his ways. There is so much that God is doing and we have no idea. And once again, Job is speaking better even than what he knows because he doesn't know about the divine counsel at the beginning. He doesn't know that this is a test and that he is in the midst of coming forth as gold. And even though we get to know more than he did, 
because of what God has revealed in his word and because Jesus has come and because we have the Holy Spirit, there are still many moments in our lives when we're aware what we understand is just the outskirts. It's just the edge of his ways. And he's doing so much more than we can understand or even imagine. Then he spends chapters 29 through 31 giving his summary defense and final appeal. Job 31, 35. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here's my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. If I could just know what God had against me, I'd be ready to talk with him. Job wants an audience with God. He wants vindication with God. He wants restored relationship with God. That's the biggest loss of all for Job. And that's something that I think we can miss when we just think about suffering. We think about, well, he lost all his wealth. He lost his children. That's not to minimize any of those things. But the thing that Job feels like he's lost that's the most important is his experience of a relationship with God. The God that he knew and loved and feared and worshipped, he feels like has turned on him and he doesn't know why. He feels like he can't find God. That's what he wants more than anything. He wants restored relationship with God. Which leads to, as we think about us, a tough question. Is that what we want when we're suffering or sorrowing. I'd have to confess that mainly what I want is for it to be over. I imagine one or two of you feel the same way. It's like, I just want it to be over, and I know I've mentioned before, even with things in our, in our own family, there are times where we're like, Lord, just let us learn the lesson, <laughs> right? But it's really not because we want to learn the lesson, it's just because we want it to be over. But God uses suffering to lead us to him. Because when things go just the way we think they should, we tend to think that that had a whole lot to do with us. Oh, thanks, God. Yep. Mm -hmm. Remember. Remember to praise him. Yep. We got you. Thanks. All right, but really, we got this. We know what to do. We made the right decisions. All right, we chose the right path. We worked harder than those other people who didn't do as well. None of you would ever think that way, I'm sure. And then when trouble comes, it's like, God, why is this happening? (laughs) What's going on? Why isn't it working? And many times, it's not about what's going on at all. It's about God and us. This is an important question. Do we just want our situation to change or will God be enough? And remember, that was actually the key issue way back in Job 1. Right? That was the point of the test. Right? Satan comes before God and God's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm going around you know, here and there on the earth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job, who's blameless, upright, fears God, turns away from evil? What did Satan say then? Does Job fear God for nothing? 
Look at everything you've given him. You put a hedge around him. Everything goes great for him. Of course he trusts you. Come on, who wouldn't if they had all that? But if you take it away, he'll curse you to your face. And so the question of Job has been from the very beginning, will, does Job love God for God or for his gifts? And that's the question for us. And what we see in these long middle chapters with lots of hard things is that Job does indeed love God for God and not for his gifts alone. But it's still really hard. Right? We tend to think if we do it just right, then everything will be easy. It'll be light. Even if situations are hard, we can just have joy through it all. It'll be great. And there is a way we can have joy through sorrow. But it's not like a skipping down the lane sort of joy all the time. Sometimes we bring our complaints to God. Right? What is it for us where our experience of God doesn't line up with our expectations? Sometimes it's our personal situations. Whether it's our own illness, the loss of a loved one, false accusations, unmet expectations. And it can hurt all the more to think that God could have done something about it. Right? As Christians, sometimes it's actually harder to suffer because like, well, I have a God who, who loves me and is supposed to be taking care of me. Why do I have all this pain? And why does it seem like it will never end? And in some situations, it, it won't until we go to be with him. Will he be enough? Sometimes it's our own personal situation. Sometimes it's what's happening with others, whether close to us or all the way across the world. It could be friends experiencing illness, grief, or loss. Or hearing the news this week that we prayed about earlier, of the, the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Over a dozen people were still rescued yesterday in Turkey, which is amazing good news, even as the death toll officially crossed over 28,000. And that's a low number. It will get higher. That's just what they can confirm. And we go, how can this be? Won't the judge of the earth do Right. And so what do we do when our experience of God does not line up with what we expect? Right? If he's good, things like that wouldn't happen. That's how we can think. We need Job to remind us of how we can come to God and ultimately the truths that will cause us to rest. And so what do we do? What does faithful wrestling look like. First, it looks like talking with God for real. No more pretend. No more just nice sounding prayers. We can all, I think, fall into this. We have kind of like, here's, here's how we pray. I know someone like their voice changes completely, different timbre, everything when it's time to pray. Do we ever do that? Anybody? It's like, yeah, here's my normal voice, and like, oh, God, we thank you so much. We're so glad that we're gathered here in your presence today, right? We use different kind of language to talk to God. We use a different tone. Now, we should respect him, 
Maybe it's more that we should use this a different sermon, uh, a different tone in our regular life. <laughs> I'll just leave that one there. But we need to talk with God for real. God doesn't need us just to pray pretty prayers. And there are times when we bring him the praise that he is so worthy of and it's exalted and we're excited and that's good. But on the days when it's hard, we don't need to pretend that only Job 1 and 2 are in the story. It's like, okay, well, uh, silent resignation, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, pray, worship. Sometimes our prayers are, I don't know what to do. I can't bear this anymore, it feels like, so I have to have you. Like, read this middle section of Job. Check the Psalms. Find Paul asking multiple times to have his thorn in the flesh removed in 2 Corinthians 12. Ponder why the Spirit needs to help us when we pray and praise with groanings that are too deep for words in Romans 8. Hear the martyrs cry out in Revelation 6.10, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge? Talk with God for real. Do you ever pray like that? If that's like the one thing that's different in your life after this sermon, that'll have been worth it. Do you just talk with God the way you learned in church and feel like this is how we talk to him, this is what we do, thank you for this, no, we pray for that? Or do you talk with him like he's really there? Talk with him about the things that mean the most to you, about the things that hurt the most. Plead with him. As we sang, day by day, I'm going to pour out my soul. Let us learn to be a people who pour out our souls to God. Talk with God for real, but it's not just the complaint, right? Job 3 was just a complaint. It wasn't even to God. Talk with God for real. Then the other thing that we see Job doing here repeatedly is we talk with God in faith. We talk with God for real. Tell him the truth about where we really are. Ask him for what we really want. Tell him how hard it really is. He knows already anyway. Talk with God for real and talk with God in faith. Talk with him like he is who he says he is. So he's, he's a friend, right? But not a friend like we're friends, right? Talk with him like he is who he says he is. Remember that there's more to life than what we can see. So much more. Remember what he has done for you in Christ. Remember what he will do for you because of Christ. So that even if it feels like he's against you, right? God, if you cared about me, I would not be going through this pain. Even if it feels like he's against you, he's not. Right? Again from Job 23. He will complete what he appoints for me. Or the New Testament's reflection on Job from James 5.11 that we've seen already a couple times in this series. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness 
of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord was compassionate and merciful. Job was steadfast. He kept holding on to his integrity and he kept holding on to his desire to talk with God. Even on the lowest points, he's not turning away from God. He's turning to God. But he couldn't fully understand yet the compassion and the mercy of the Lord like we can because Jesus has borne our sorrows for us. He has suffered even greater loss than Job and came through on the other side and was vindicated. He always did what was right. He had no transgressions or sins to be overlooked or pardoned or atoned for. And he prayed to his father with loud cries and tears, we're told in Hebrews 5-7. Jesus, it's not just like, okay, let's be like Job. Well, he didn't really know what was going on. He was probably wrong. Jesus prayed to his father with loud cries and tears on the earth. We're told he was heard because of his reverence. We tend to think reverence is like the sweet language, right? That, that's, let's be reverent. And that's like a, a tone that we have. But reverence is about talking to God like who he really is, revering him for who he is. Sometimes that will lead to a particular tone. But for Jesus, sometimes it was loud cries and tears filled with reverence, talking to God for real and talking to God in faith. And we too weep with those who weep, even as we rejoice with those who rejoice. There's a lot that's broken. So we lament in this age, individually and together. But our lament will not last forever because it can't, it can't, it can't stay this way forever. One day when Jesus comes again and ushers in the new heavens and the new earth and comes to judge and makes every wrong right, there will be no more sorrow, sickness, sadness, or pain for those who know him. So with the saints of all ages, we pray, how long, O Lord? When what we expect from God doesn't line up with our experience of God, we should talk with him about it. Talk with him for real. Talk with him in faith. If you're struggling with how you think life should have gone for you and what God should have done differently, don't turn away from him. Turn toward him in faith. Believing that he is and believing that he is who he says he is. The Father heard Jesus' prayers. He heard Job's prayers, and he hears ours. He sees us, he hears us, and he sustains us even when nothing makes sense. And one day we'll see him face to face, and everything will be okay. And all the things that seemed so important in this life will fade in the light of his glory. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, would you help us? Help us to trust you. Help us to learn how to talk with you for real, but to talk with you in faith and to trust you, to look back at what Jesus has done and look forward to what has been promised.
And would you sustain us by your grace and by your spirit in these days? Would we learn how to pray to you and then also to praise you on the other side, even as we look forward to praising you with all your people forever in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.